Welcome to Radio Tambua, an outreach of ACFA, the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. ACFA equips God's people for the defense of the faith, biblical discernment, and cult evangelism. Let's begin today's message. Greetings to you, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus our Lord. My name is Roger Zatwebembide from the Africa Center for Apologetics Research. It's my privilege to open God's word with you and to share with you about his truth, for indeed Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Of course, what that also means in the reverse is that if you do not know the truth, then the lie will keep you in bondage. As Christians, as men and women committed to gospel truth, we must be concerned about what it is that we hear and even more importantly what it means. We have been looking at some series entitled, What Did Jesus Really Mean? Please realize that I am not saying, What Did Jesus Really Say? What Jesus said is clear from the passages of Scripture. Jesus taught, Jesus uh, preached, so and we have his words written in the Bible. The question, however, is what did he really mean by what he said? Now you may think that question does not deserve your time until you realize that actually there are so many things that Jesus has said in the Bible that either at first glance do not seem to make sense or sound controversial or sometimes even look contradictory to what the rest of the Bible says, and it leaves you wondering, did Jesus really say these particular words? Is it possible that some people added them in the Bible at some later stage? Can such words equally be inspired as we believe the rest of Scripture to be? If Jesus really, really, and truly said these words, what did he really mean? And as you can imagine, we have a number of churches or religious groups that claim to be Christian that have taken the words of Jesus out of context. Either they have made them to say what they did not originally mean, or they have distorted their meaning, or they have misapplied them in their context. And what happens when you misunderstand or misapply scripture? The end result is the deception and dis- destruction. And it becomes even all the more important and urgent when you downplay or misunderstand or distort or twist the words of Jesus. Remember at the heart of the Christian faith is the person of Jesus, who he is, what he has done, what he has said. So what happens when you misunderstand or misrepresent Jesus in his person and in his words? It means you are in grave danger and your eternal life or eternal destiny is at stake, which is why we should not only be concerned about how we understand our Bibles, but even more so we should be concerned about the people who preach and teach to us. Are they being faithful to Scripture? Are they understanding it and interpreting it as it was meant to be interpreted? Is it possible that they have misunderstood the words of Scripture, especially the words of Jesus? And what happens when they misunderstand or misrepresent Jesus? All those questions are at the heart of not only understanding by your Bible as a Christian, 
but at the heart of biblical discipleship. For us to become discerning, discipled believers, we must be men and women who intentionally, diligently search the scriptures, seek to find the true meaning of the passages of scripture, not only for our own growth, but for faithful biblical living. And so today, we have one of those passages that might take you by surprise. Or probably one of those passages that you have always wondered about what it could have meant or whether Jesus even said it in the first place. So if you would please come with me to the Gospel of John and we will read from chapter 20, especially beginning from verses 19 to around verses 23 and then we will ask and answer our key question. John chapter 20 from verses 19 to verses 23. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Ah, what a powerful passage. And maybe you are also wondering, what a confusing passage that must be. What did Jesus really mean when he said, If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Is Jesus meaning that Christians have the power to forgive the sins of others? In other words, is Jesus saying that me, Rogers, who is a Christian, I can go on the streets in Kampala or anywhere in Uganda and start declaring the forgiveness of sins upon sinners, and just move around and say, hey, young lady, your sins are forgiven. Hey, young man, you are a sinner, but from now on, God no longer holds you accountable because I say so. Is that what Jesus is trying to say? And of course, as you think through this passage, you probably already know some churches or some religious groups or denominations whose pastors already claim to hold or to wield the power of forgiving their church members. You probably already know that there are some churches that teach that the pastor has the authority to declare you forgiven, to declare you blessed or cursed, and therefore whatever it is that the pastor says, you better obey, you better follow, otherwise he will not forgive you. And as a matter of fact, from that kind of erroneous teaching, today we have lots of pastors and Christian leaders that are abusing their members. They have taught their members to believe that these pastors have the power to determine their destiny. In fact, these pastors are now the mediators between God and their church members. So what they do is that they manipulate or blackmail their members to do their bidding, 
sometimes leading them even into corruption or acts of sexual immorality or asking them for diverse favors in the name of they can forgive them if these members will do whatever it is their pastors want them to do. You can imagine how many believers have been abused out of their sincere desire to receive forgiveness from God through their church leaders who have not only listened to their sins and their weaknesses but have taken advantage of their private personal confessions to abuse them, to use them, and to misuse them. Is this what really Jesus is saying? That his disciples had the power to move around the, 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 the Jerusalem or Galilee or Nazareth and to go around declaring forgiveness upon sinners even when they had not requested for it. Is Jesus really saying that believers have the power to do this? And as you can imagine, that's not what Jesus is saying. That's not what Jesus even meant. While literally it sounds like Jesus is saying that if the disciples forgive people, they will be forgiven, or if they withhold forgiveness, it will be withheld from those who seek for it. Actually, that's not what the Bible says. This verse, if translated more literally from the Greek, which is one of the languages in which the Bible was written, it actually sounds differently. This is what it says from the Greek translation. Those whose sins you forgive have already been forgiven. Those whose sins you do not forgive have not been forgiven. When you read the Greek translation, it is not actually saying that forgiveness of sins is contingent upon the declaration of the disciples or the mood of the disciples or the words from their mouth. What the Greek translation actually says is that the disciples are declaring or proclaiming what heaven has already declared and proclaimed. In other words, Jesus is saying that these disciples as his messengers in the world, as his ambassadors and proclaimers of the gospel, their duty and calling is to go out and proclaim and declare what heaven has already proclaimed and decreed. Heaven has already decided, heaven has already declared that those who put their trust in Jesus the Savior, those who for repent of their sins will be forgiven. And as the disciples preach the gospel, and the people believe the gospel, and assent to the teaching of scripture as coming through the disciples, they will be forgiven by heaven, and the disciples under the leading and inspiration of the Holy Spirit will be declaring what heaven has already declared upon those who have repented of their sins, those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord. The verse does not therefore say the disciples have the power to proclaim forgiveness of sins. The verse carries the idea not that we have the power as Christians to forgive in and of ourselves, but that as Christians and ambassadors of the kingdom, we are proclaiming what heaven has already proclaimed. There is no dispute that the disciples to whom Christ was speaking were given the power to pronounce forgiveness or retaining of sins. 
But what this means is that they were given the authority to declare what God does in regard to salvation when a person either accepts or rejects Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You remember when Jesus first sent out the disciples two by two in Matthew chapter 10? One of the mandates he gave them was that they were to proclaim Christ's peace upon the homes that would receive them as messengers of Jesus. Now it is not that the disciples had peace to offer. It is not that the disciples could guarantee whether some home should have peace or not. But they were declaring Christ's peace and Christ's will upon those homes, upon their being received by those people. In the same thought and same line of thinking, Jesus is saying that when they go out to preach the gospel and they call men to repent their sins and trust in Jesus as their personal Savior and Lord, those who receive the gospel receive forgiveness of sins. And those who reject the gospel do not receive forgiveness of sins. In other words, forgiveness is withheld from them because they have not believed the gospel, they have not received the gospel. Why do we know that? How do we come to that conclusion that the disciples were not in position to forgive anyone? It is because the consistent testimony of scripture points to the fact that there is no one who has the power to forgive sins except God. Only God has the power to forgive sins. Only God has the power to bring men and women in right standing with himself. When men sin, they have sinned against God, not against the disciples. And when men receive forgiveness, they have received it from God, whom they sinned against in the first place, and not against the disciples. Now, of course there is a sense in which we forgive one another. If somebody has wronged you, somebody has stolen your money or your phone and comes and seeks forgiveness, you can say you have forgiven them. But that forgiveness does not mean that God has forgiven them. It is not saying sorry or making an apology to one another that makes a difference. It is the fact that when we forgive them, we actually agree with God that we receive their apology and they also ask forgiveness from God. And so we proclaim God's forgiveness upon them verbally and face to face with one another. We are proclaiming God's will. We are proclaiming what God has already decreed and we are just declaring it. If you look at the testimony of scripture, like when you look for instance at Mark chapter 2, we read the story where Jesus heals a man who was paralyzed and his friends let him down to the through the roof, down to the feet of Jesus. And everyone is surprised that the first thing Jesus does even before he heals him is to say, son, your sins are forgiven. And as you can imagine, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law are very surprised, very confused, and very angered by Jesus' statement. They begin mumbling and grumbling within their minds. And Jesus, for the God that he was, understands their mumbling even before they have verbalized it. And he asks them, Why do you marvel and complain and grumble in your minds that I have forgiven the sins of this young man? Do you doubt that I have the power and authority to do so? Which is easier? 
to declare forgiveness of sins which is invisible or to declare the healing of this man who is paralyzed which is physical and visible and instant and for all to see. And Jesus then says, so that you may know that the Son of Man has brought forgive sins. He turns the paralyzed man and he said, rise up, pick up your mat and go home. And what is the conclusion of the teachers of the law from this teaching in Mark chapter 2? They say, this is blasphemy. How can he claim to forgive sins? For the only one who has power to forgive sins is God. Even the religious leaders of the day, who were not even Christians or followers of Jesus, they knew and understood from scripture that there was only one person who had power or the mandate to forgive sins, and that was God. And by Jesus declaring forgiveness of sins upon this paralytic, he was actually confirming that he is God. He was actually saying that I am God, and therefore I am the only one who actually has the power, not only to declare forgiveness of sins, but actually to make it possible and to make it happen. We see the same thing in Luke chapter 7, especially when you read verses 48 and verses 49, where Jesus forgives this woman who has was a prostitute, who came and cleaned his feet with her tears and dried them with her hair, and Jesus pronounces forgiveness of sins upon her. The disciples and the people who were gathered around the table were surprised and shocked. How could Jesus forgive the sins of a woman? Does he even have the power to do so? But Jesus says, yes, woman, your sins have been forgiven because your love for me is great. Again, we see that in scripture, the only person who has the power to declare forgiveness of sins and it becomes so is Jesus. You have another incident where they bring this woman to Jesus who had been caught in adultery. And they bring him, her to Jesus, hoping that Jesus will agree with them in condemning this woman and stoning her to death, which would have been the due punishment for the offense. But to their surprise, not only does Jesus hold them accountable for their hypocrisy in seeking to judge a woman who has committed the very sin they would have been committing, whether physically or in their hearts, but Jesus goes further to do what no one would expected, proclaiming and pronouncing forgiveness of sins upon this woman. Jesus says, is there anyone who can condemn you? And the woman replies, none. And then Jesus says, neither do I. Go back and sin no more. There it is. And in that one instance, this woman's record in heaven stands cancelled, and now she is looked at before God by God as though she had never sinned because Jesus Christ had forgiven her sins. From the context of the whole of scripture, it is very clear that no man can forgive sins, no man ever did forgive sins, and no man should ever claim to forgive sins except God who is able and who has the power to do so. So this passage does not mean that the disciples or believers today really have the power to decide who goes to heaven or who doesn't. They do not have the power to decide who is forgiven or not. When you have sinned, you are not at the mercy of your pastor to forgive you. 
When you have sinned, what you need to do is to repent of your sins before God and seek forgiveness from God and God alone. It is your change of heart that, or that, and your desire for forgiveness that God uses your pastor or the church leaders to pronounce what God has already decided should be. You are, they are declaring the forgiveness that heaven has already given you or has already decreed that you should have on the basis of your repentance and your trust in Jesus. The disciples, and by extension all believers, only have the privilege or the prerogative of announcing to others that if they trust in Christ Jesus, their sins will be forgiven. If they reject Christ as their Savior and Lord, their sins will not be forgiven. So pronouncing forgiveness of sins only comes and makes uh, sense on the basis of the recipient's acceptance of Jesus Christ or rejection of Jesus Christ. Believers have the authority to make that declaration because God himself has already declared and decreed it in heaven. As representatives of Jesus Christ, we declare to others what has already been declared in heaven, and we declare it through the preaching and proclamation of the gospel. We are not just walking around, looking at different people, and deciding who gets forgiven and who doesn't, as though it were dependent on our will, or on our authority, or on our mood. It is a declaration that we make, when we go out in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ as his witnesses, as we preach and teach, as we call men and women to repentance, we remind them of the assurance that they will be forgiven if they trust Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. And that is what Jesus meant. Do you now see how dangerous it can be for anybody to, de- to declare or to assume or even to show or to claim that he can forgive sins and then go using scripture, twisting it out of its context, twisting it and divorcing it from the entire understanding of the rest of the biblical passages and using it to abuse and distort uh, the truth of God's word and misuse the members who follow him. Now imagine how many of our pastors or our churches have actually taught this and empowered their church leaders to abuse their members in the name that they hold the power to decide whether their members are forgiven or not, whether their members receive eternal life in heaven or not. When scripture is misunderstood, the consequences are disastrous. The consequences are destructive. Which is why I am here to remind you and to encourage you to read your Bible well. To consider the entire context of the Bible and not just pick out a verse and draw conclusions from it without considering it in light of what scripture says elsewhere. That you may not only be readers of scripture, but you may be faithful, effective interpreters of scripture who diligently will search and seek out the meaning of scripture rather than just conveniently and quickly running with the verse without understanding what it means and abusing it and misusing it and misleading men. Remember, if Jesus has said that you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free, the reverse is equally true, that if you believe a lie, 
Or if you receive what is in error, indeed you will be kept in bondage. It is very important that you come to the knowledge of God's truth. You come to understand what the Bible means and not just what it says. And that as you understand the Bible, as you delve into the riches and the pleasures of God's truth, your life will be changed, your life will be transformed, you will be discerning, you will be able to tell the difference between truth and error, the difference between right and wrong, and not only will you become a discerning, discipled, mature Christian Christ Jesus, but you will be the kind of model or example that leads others into God's abundant truth. May the Lord bless you so much. As you consider these words carefully and prayerfully, may the Lord give you the courage and the confidence in understanding and studying his word. May you submit to the Spirit of God who leads men and women into truth, that knowing the truth of God, it may set you free. And remember, he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. To learn more about the Africa Center for Apologetics Research, visit us at africanapologetics.org.